It's Friday, June 15th, and this is The Daily Dive. After an 18-month investigation into the FBI's handling of the Hillary Clinton email probe, the Justice Department's Inspector General has finally released his report and had two main findings. First, former FBI Director James Comey wasn't politically motivated in his actions, but did break from FBI procedure and negatively impacted the image of the FBI. Second, texts between two FBI agents were released saying they would stop Trump from becoming president. Steph Kite, reporter for Axios, joins us for all the details in the report. Next, we will be joined by personal finance writer for CNBC, Jessica Dickler, to talk about the Federal Reserve's rate hike and how it impacts it. There might be two more rate hikes before the year is up, and Jessica will fill us in on how it affects our credit cards, mortgages, and savings. Finally, E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo, brought together gamers across all platforms to see what is in store for the rest of the year. Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony showed off all of their soon-to-be-released games. Mark Saltzman, tech columnist for USA Today, joins us to talk about his top picks and also why every parent should be paying attention. These are all the games you will be buying for your kids this holiday season. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. This report did not find any evidence of political bias or improper considerations actually impacting the investigation under review. The report does identify errors of judgment, violations of or even disregard for policy and decisions that at the very least, with the benefit of hindsight, were not the best choices. Joining us now is Steph Kite. She covers politics and criminal justice for Axios. Following an 18-month investigation, the Justice Department's Inspector General Michael Horowitz released a report about the FBI's handling of uh, Hillary Clinton's email investigation. It particularly slammed former FBI Director James Comey and two FBI agents, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. What did we find out in this report? The report was very critical of James Comey and how he handled sort of the announcement of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails and also the second announcement that they were reopening the investigation. And then it also was critical of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page for their political text. But ultimately, there were no conclusions from the FBI that were challenged. So the report did not say that Hillary Clinton should be prosecuted or that any of the conclusions from the FBI's investigations were wrong. Let's focus on James Comey for a minute. It said that he was insubordinate in handling the probe of Hillary Clinton. What did they mean by that? It had to do with his interaction with Attorney General Loretta Lynch at the time, right? The report said that Comey did not interact enough with the attorney general leading up to his decisions to make these announcements. Typically, there would be more communication before a decision like that, and that wasn't seen in Comey's actions. And he essentially failed to follow the protocol in those situations, which ended up putting the FBI in this situation where the reputation of being unbiased was challenged. Right. And that had to do with the press conference that he called basically saying Hillary Clinton was off the hook. And then we've come to find out in this report also that James Comey was using Gmail for a lot of FBI business himself. Yes. (laughs) There's always an email scandal, isn't there? Everybody's using their personal email. It's just and then on to these uh, juicy texts that we found out from these two FBI agents. This in particular signals almost a win for the president. It's something that he had been saying a lot that the FBI was biased against him. And even though the report kind of exonerated them, saying it didn't really figure into the investigation, it certainly cast a cloud over the entire FBI investigation. What were these texts about? So the one text that has gotten the most tweets and outrage was one that said 
essentially, we're going to stop Donald Trump from becoming president. And this is something that conservatives especially are going to use to show that the FBI was not unbiased and actually was against Donald Trump throughout the investigation. The exact text said from uh, Lisa Page to Peter Strzok, Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? And then Strzok responded, no, no, we'll, uh, he won't. We'll stop it. But these were personal texts. The report said it didn't really figure into the investigation itself. It just looks really bad. Exactly. And we're going to see both Republicans and Democrats take these results and spin them the way that they please. We've already seen yesterday Republicans and Democrats on the House and in the Senate come out with different takeaways from the report, but almost all of them have ended up criticizing James Comey. Yeah, let's get into some of that specific spin. How has the FBI reacted to this news? James Comey tweeted yesterday that he respects the IG office and that he even urged them to do this review, that he thinks the conclusion is reasonable, but he doesn't agree with everything in there. And then we also saw the former deputy director, Andrew McCabe, say that it wasn't his responsibility for delaying the investigation into the emails from Anthony Weiner, which was an accusation in the report. How did he figure into this report? Because he was getting slammed in the report for also giving information to journalists as well. Right, right. There was an earlier IG report um, a few months ago, I believe, where they found that he had given information to reporters and had not been completely transparent about that. And he was actually recommended for criminal charges, but nothing has come of that report yet. And in this one, they say that he wasn't charged with bias or improper influence, but did accuse him of delaying the investigation into the emails when they were discovered on Anthony Weiner's laptop, which was one of the reasons why the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails was re-upped so close to the election. And how are Republicans responding to this? It seems like they, like you said, James Comey is still the central figure being attacked, but they mishandled the entire probe into the emails. Republicans are really harping on the FBI not being unbiased and really not handling the investigation in the way they would hope the FBI would have, that they raise alarming questions as to how the FBI and the Justice Department handle these things and are really harping on that aspect of the report. And finally, Democrats, I mean, it just seems like they say the whole thing, all it did was help President Donald Trump win the election. Exactly. They are definitely saying this is clearly showing that the FBI hurt Hillary Clinton's chances of winning the election and helped Donald Trump. And that's something that the report doesn't specifically go there. And of course, Republicans are never going to admit that was a conclusion of the report. But it is something that Democrats are definitely harping on. So we get to relive the election all over again. We'll never let it die. Right. One last thing. This whole report and the way everybody's going to spin it for themselves, how is this going to affect the Mueller probe? So this particular report doesn't directly impact Mueller's probe. But of course, I think we're going to see the president and some conservatives use reports findings to, again, erode trust in the FBI. This is something that we've seen over and over and over again over the past few months and the past year. All right. Steph Kite, she covers politics and criminal justice for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Economic growth appears to have picked up in the current quarter, largely reflecting a bounce back in household spending. Business investment continues to grow strongly. 
and the overall outlook for growth remains favorable. Joining us now is Jessica Dickler. She covers personal finance for CNBC. So the Federal Reserve hiked its benchmark short-term interest rate a quarter of a percentage point earlier this week. These stories always come out. It's something that a lot of people gloss over. They roll their eyes at. They don't know what it means. But it actually could have some far-ranging effects for the average consumer. First off, what does this interest rate hike mean for the average person? Well, that's right. It doesn't sound like much. I mean, a quarter point, but this is the seventh hike in two and a half years. And the cumulative effect is what is going to impact borrowers. And that's on everything from your credit card to your home equity line of credit. Even your mortgage or student loan could be impacted by a rate hike. And they said there might be two more increases before the end of the year. That's right. That makes this a good time to get your ducks in a row. If you have some outstanding loans and you want to refinance or consolidate, it's a good time to think about what you have and take some steps to pay down debt or change your financial profile a little bit. We're going to go through uh, how it's going to affect you in a bunch of different ways. But right before we get into that, they say that the rising of these interest rates does mean that the economy is doing well. It's booming. That's the first point, is that this is not necessarily a bad thing. The Fed started raising rates because the economy was looking very strong. And since then, we've had more indications that the economy is doing well. And those indicators are what will lead to pay raises and what encouraged some of the bonuses that people got a few months ago. So it is overall good news, but for borrowers, there will be a hit and uh, you have to protect yourself. How is this going to affect our credit cards? Credit cards are the primary way most people will be impacted by a rate hike. Credit cards have a variable rate, which means there's a direct connection to the Fed's rate and the interest rate that you pay or your APR on your credit card. So those are going to go up probably as soon as next month. What you can do is you can shop around for a better rate, see what else is out there. You can also call your credit card issuer and see if you can negotiate. Often if there is a better rate option, you can tell that to your current card, and they may work with you a little bit to lower your APR or waive some fees. There are also 0% balance transfer offers out there, and that gives you a good 15 months or so to really pay down your balance and get that debt at a lower rate um, before the interest starts ticking up again. How's the interest rate hike going to affect our mortgages? Mortgage rates aren't as immediately affected by interest rate hikes as, say, a credit card, but 30-year fixed rate is now about 4.7%, and that's up from about 4% in 2015. So that's already costing homebuyers more than it was before. It's those with an adjustable rate mortgage or home equity line of credit that will be more immediately impacted. So those with an ARM can still refinance into a fixed rate that's lower than what the ARM will adjust to eventually. And that's a good thing to do. So definitely consider refinancing, but you have to do that relatively quickly before rates go up. And if you have a home equity line of credit, one of the things you can do is you can ask your lender to freeze the interest rate on your outstanding balance, or you should consider refinancing into a fixed rate home equity loan. That's a little different from a line of credit because it kind of caps the amount of money you have access to, but you will have a lower rate. On auto loans, it it doesn't seem like there's too much of a change, so we can go ahead and, and still buy that new car? If you're shopping for a car, it's not going to have that much of an impact. I mean, we're talking a couple of dollars a month. But um, but rates are on the rise. So if you're car shopping, then the best thing to do is to first make sure your 
credit is in good standing, and then you can really shop around and negotiate. There is a fair amount of wiggle room on not only the price of the car, but the financing options. There are still plenty of low rates available, particularly for those with good credit. And how about, uh, finally, our, our student loans? Uh, everybody has massive student loan debt. Uh, How is that going to affect that? Student loan debt is at a record high. And even though most borrowers have federal student loans, which are fixed rate loans, a lot of students these days have some private loans as well, which kind of bridge the gap between what they got from their federal loan and the rest of the money that they need to get through school. The first thing to do is kind of figure out what kind of loans you have or what mix of loans you have. Private loans will be more susceptible to a rate hike, and those can go up more quickly. So private loans are the ones that you want to prioritize if you're going to pay down some of your student debt. Look there first and see if refinancing makes sense. There's usually a spike in borrowers looking to refinance into a fixed-rate loan from a variable-rate private loan when a rate hike happens, and there's still opportunities to do that. So the first thing is to kind of get organized, see what kind of loans you have, and then see what makes sense in terms of refinancing. While these stories come out about the interest rate hikes, they seem kind of boring, or maybe you might not understand them. They're very important to pay attention to because it does affect you in small incremental ways that you might not normally think of. That's right. And we didn't talk about the good news, which is your savings account. There will be a rise in the interest that you can get on your savings. So that kind of helps offset some of the hurt that borrowers might feel on their debt. Jessica Dickler, she covers personal finance for CNBC. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much. This is a Pokeball Plus. You can use it like a Joy-Con controller with Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee, or play the entire game with it alone. You can put a Pokemon into the Pokeball Plus, then bring it with you. Sounds like there's already one inside. Joining us now is Mark Saltzman, tech columnist for USA Today. The big E3 conference happened this past week, the Electronics Entertainment Expo. Everybody gets together to present the next big slew of games that are coming out for the year and the next year. It's not just necessarily for gamers. I think a lot of parents should actually pay attention to this because these are the games you're going to end up buying your kids once the holidays come. Um, (laughs) That is true. But there's a a bunch of great stuff coming out. Uh, Let's start with uh, the Nintendo Switch. What do they have coming out for the rest of the year? So I think the the most fun game I played on the Nintendo Switch was Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Yes. So I this love is this game. of course, yeah, the latest in the almost 20-year-old franchise. It's like a cartoon brawler. The idea is you choose one of your favorite characters, they each have their own abilities, and uh, now they say every single Smash Brothers character in the history of the franchise, which I think totals 66, is available in this new game. It could be a Nintendo character like uh, a Mario or a Donkey Kong or a Princess Peach, or it could be another type of character could be Pac-Man from the Namco franchise or whatever. And then you play on these maps and it's a lot of fun. And it's like, you know, you know the drill. But for those listeners who aren't familiar with that franchise, this feels good. It plays great. um, And uh, they've got new worlds as well. One that tips its hat to Legend of Zelda and another one that is tied to its Splatoon game, which is also popular. And I love that Nintendo specifically still making games where you can play with other people in the same room on the same console with the big rise of first person shooters. I mean, you can only play one player on a lot of games and you can connect with other people multiplayer online, but you can't play with the same person on the same console in the same room. So I still love that a lot of these type of games are coming out, like Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, Nintendo gets that, I think. 
also at E3, Nintendo uh, gave me a demo of their new Pokemon game where you get this, I believe it's optional, but you buy this, it's called a Pokeball Plus, and it's an accessory that works with the Switch. It's actually, it looks like a little Pokeball, that you know familiar red and white uh, Pokeball, if you've ever seen the cartoon or any of the merchandising. Uh, but the idea is that you that is your controller for the entire game. It's got a little analog stick on top to move your character around. And then when you find a Pokemon that you want to catch, you literally like throw this thing, like where you, you I should say that you mimic the the action of throwing, but you don't want to let go. You don't want to break your TV. <laughs> there, there, yeah, there is like, <laughs> just like the Nintendo Wii, they have a little wrist strap and even a ring strap on this because they don't want it to go through, you know, a TV or something. So, but the idea is that you uh, pretend to throw this ball with that gesture, like as if you were really throwing th something to catch the Pokemon. So it's supposed to, you know, be very magical for kids and kids at heart. So that was, that was cool as well. Pokemon always, it's always a hit. Everybody always buys those things up and they had a great success with the mobile app. So yeah, expect that one to be pretty big. What about Microsoft? I heard rumors that there's going to be a new console coming out maybe in a couple years. Uh, so we didn't hear anything about that, uh, not even a tease. Uh, they weren't actually on the show floor for the first time. They were sort of across the road near the Staples Center in this like Coliseum area, they call it, or LA Live area. Uh, so um, they were set up there, and I did spend a lot of time at the booth. Um, and so it was less about hardware, and it was more about games and services. So they have one called you know, the Xbox Game Pass, where for uh, $9.99 a month, you can play uh, over 100 games now. So there's a good value proposition, kind of like a, a subscription model not unlike a Netflix, if you will. Uh, and they added at E3 14 new titles to that, um, including the upcoming Forza Horizon 4. Uh, so yeah, Forza Horizon 4 is the latest in the car racing franchise, and now they're adding new seasons to play through, like literally like fall, winter, and all that, and it really changes the, the dynamic, not just the visual or aesthetic look to the game, but lots of different modes, single player, multiplayer, a lot of fun, but I think Xbox Game Pass is just a great bargain, it's just a, it's a, it's a to me it's a no-brainer, spend 120 bucks a year, and you've got a huge variety of games, and that includes Fallout 4 too, which is an awesome game, and on that note, you probably heard that Fallout 76 was a officially unveiled right. at uh, E3. That was a big one from Bethesda coming out this September. It's an online-only post-apocalyptic game. Uh, speaking of post-apocalyptic, one of my favorite games of the entire E3 Expo was The Last of Us 2. That's a PlayStation title, right? Yeah, it's a PS4 exclusive. It's from Santa Monica's Naughty Dog Studios, and it is amazing to look at, and the gameplay looks fantastic. You play, once again, as Ellie. She's a more mature pro protagonist now. She was a kid at the beginning of the first uh, Last of Us came out in 2013. Uh, now, uh, you know, this trailer shows her more sensitive side. There's like sort of uh, an emotional embrace with uh, a girlfriend of hers in, in, at the beginning of the uh, of the uh, trailer, and she's engaged in a slow dance. And then it quickly goes to, uh, let's call it a flashback sequence, uh, on her about her tougher side. And it's about her in combat taking on these, uh, you know, these uh, adversaries in the game, but with all kinds of weapons and stealth and, and running and ducking. And it was really well done photorealistic like you've yeah. ever you'll do a double take you'll think this is a real actress it's amazing what was the top thing that you saw wow all right so i'd say it's a cross between the last of us 2 and cyberpunk 2077 both of oh. them were extensive demos so again no hands-on full transparency i did not get a chance to play uh nobody did um, it was more of a guided demo, as they call it. Somebody from the studio played, and you were there, and you can ask questions, and you're watching through. So I would say Sony's The Last of Us 2, uh, coupled with uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which is maybe coming out next year, maybe 2020, from CD Projekt Red. And then um, 
yeah, those were there were so many good ones. Oh my god, a new Tomb Raider game, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. It's very hard to pick. Super oh. Smash Brothers. Thank you, Mark. I, l- I love the enthusiasm that you always have for these games. That's why we love mm-hmm. to get your uh, recap for E3. Mark Saltzman, tech columnist for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. And thanks for having me. Cheers. All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.